Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, May 23rd by John Lusink. Today's message is the fourth message in our sermon series entitled Growing Up in Christ Together. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. In this sermon series called Growing Up in Christ Together, Rod has talked about the challenges of growing vegetables, disciples' vegetables. So let me talk to you about growing fruit, disciples' fruit, (laughs) because I love fruit. My parents are actually phenomenal at growing fruit. Uh, When they lived in the Okanagan, man, peaches, cherries, plums, pears, just imagine this verdant orchard on the shores of Okanagan Lake. And I, their son, I'm horrible at growing fruit. Uh, We had uh, an apple tree, and I took care of it so well that it didn't bear fruit for years, and it finally became firewood. I tried blueberries, and my four bushes, they got big, and they yielded a crop of at least 10 blueberries every year. And those bushes got dug up, and a neighbor is taking care of them. Being fruitful isn't automatic. Just like Rod told us in his illustrations about gardening, there are many things that can go wrong. Vegetables, fruit, disciple. I want to be a fruitful disciple of Jesus. And I assume that's why we're gathered here, watching, listening. Now, since there are so many things that can keep us from being fruitful as disciples, let's enter into Matthew chapter 13 to take warning and instruction from Jesus. Now, imagine the scene. And in a moment, I'm going to get you to help me out with doing some charades and actions to kind of get the parable into our brains. All right, so the same day, chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down and all the people stood on the shore. Now, get ready to copy my actions here. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seeds. As he was scattering the seed, first scenario, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Scenario two, some fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Third scenario, other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choke the plants. Fourth scenario, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, 
60 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So do we have ears to hear? Let's review the parable-like charades to let it sink in. Funk. enjoyed copying along here. We might come back to that a little bit later. Then in verse 10, we see the disciples came and asked him, why do you speak to the people in charades? Parables. Essentially, the disciples were asking, hey, Jesus, uh, you've got a big crowd here, uh, and, and we don't think your marketing and recruitment strategy is very effective. People aren't getting what you're saying. Why are you doing things this way? And Jesus' reply is, if they wanted to hear, if they wanted to see, they could. And they would get it in their hearts. And they would repent. And I would heal them. But, verse 15, this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. Verse 18, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. Jesus is telling his disciples, you guys are blessed because you want to understand this. Your, your eyes and your ears are open, so I'll give you more. I'll help you take this deeper. Now, as we think about this question even of saying, well, why is it important to multiply 100 or 60 or even 30 times? Why is fruitfulness important? Well, in another text in the Gospels, in, in the book of John chapter 15, Jesus explains to them, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. Now, do you want to avoid this? <laughs> I sure do. Do we have ears to hear? 
Let's listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message, verse 19, about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. It's clear, yes? Some people will hear the gospel of Jesus, but they will harden their hearts to it. They'll close their ears, shut their eyes, and it makes it super easy for the devil to snatch away the news of Christ and the new life that he's offering. We had a dear friend, he was an elderly neighbor in Prague when we were missionaries there, and uh, about the same age as my dad. And we would meet together regularly to read the scriptures. And finally he said, no, this isn't for me. We're responsible for lifting ourselves. I don't need help from Jesus. <sighs> Scenario two. Verse 20, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away. Now, maybe you've heard uh, the news of the country that has some of the fastest growing churches in the world. And by churches, it's small churches because it's one of the most persecuted countries in the world. Iran. Why does the ninth most persecuted country in the world, persecuted Christians, that is, why do they have the fastest growing bodies of believers? Well, according to a recent documentary, Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2, you can look that up on YouTube, one leader interviewed notes, what persecution did was destroy the church that were not disciples and destroy the church that was all about converts. All these church planters found that converts run away from persecution, but disciples would die for the Lord in persecution. And they say that, that now these growing, multiplying churches are made up of only real disciples who are willing to die, be imprisoned, and especially if you're a lady, be tortured if you're caught sharing Jesus. Real disciples like that multiply. Imagine then, if we faced such opposition to our faith in our country, would we find ourselves a mere convert or a persevering disciple? I mean, just imagine if some type of government gained power that really had it out for Christians. I mean, maybe they even labeled us all hate criminals. Would we be willing to stick to it? even if they tore down our churches or locked them up, even if we had severe consequences in our lives for sharing Jesus, would we still do it? Would we be trained to be persevering disciples in that environment? Would we be ready or surprised to face suffering as Canadian Christians? My smart friend Jake 
has studied an even smarter guy named Jacques Ellul, and if I say that fancy, it makes me sound smarter for at least two seconds. Uh, a modern Christian philosopher, this guy Jacques Ellul, he observes that our modern society in North America is based on an ideology of happiness, something that was invented around the 18th century, embedded as a toxic Trojan horse in the American Constitution. The right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that has changed the orientation and goal of the entirety of society and life in general. We have made comfort a spiritual value, a true sacrament. Think about that. Do we see evidence of that in our society? And how much of that has infiltrated the church? Here's a test to see if our religion is actually happiness and comfort. How do I react when bad things happen to me? A book I read called The Critical Journey, the second edition, describes four reactions when our life breaks down. First reaction is often, oh, God has let me down. The good God of comfort and happiness has failed to deliver. I guess I need to find a new Jesus. The second response is commonly to become bitter and resentful and just someone who attends church, who just sits in the pew, still afraid of giving up on the fire insurance, but bitter. Third reaction when life falls apart and the good God of comfort and happiness seems to have failed is, maybe I need to work harder to be a better disciple who will be more blessed with comfort and happiness. And they go back to just being working hard and being good, to get good stuff. Or a fourth reaction can be to realize, oh, maybe I have a false version of who God is. And I can let that fall apart to realize who God really is. That he actually does use discipline and suffering, and discomfort to mature us to become even more effective on mission for him. In our Discovery Bible study on Tuesday nights, we've been reading through 1 Peter, and in the first chapter, verses 6 and 7, it tells us this is who God is. This is the real God. It says, now for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief in all, kinds of trials these have come that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by the fire may result in praise glory and honor when Christ is revealed so it's telling us trials are good for us they mature us they develop us to become more like Christ and to reveal him more. So if bad stuff happens, we spring up, life happens, that's actually to mature us and make us stronger. I hope we don't wither under that kind of trial and grief of many kinds. Now there is a, this third type of 
convert to Christianity that fails to bear fruit. The third one is the thorns that grow up and choke out. Verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. A dear friend of mine, Avery, has given me permission to share his story, and he has told me about how over the years he was lured away from fruitfulness by the deceitfulness of wealth and the worries of life. I mean, even though he started out as a graduate from Bible college with a passion to bring Jesus to the First Nations of the North and Canada, well, he and his wife had to pay off school debt. How should we do that? Well, maybe I'll get a trade. Hey, it's kind of neat to be pursuing my red seal and, and get this journeyman electrician thing. But then he's like, hey, I'm kind of good at repairing and flipping cars. And that allowed me to buy a motorbike and a little sailboat and a canoe. And then he kind of got into the weekend recreation culture and like, hey, we can buy a house and we could maybe we could become financially independent. He got caught up in the trap of consumerism. And over the four years that I would visit their town, I would ring them up, say, hey, can I, can I pop over? We'd range ahead of time. And it seemed every time I came over to visit and I would ask them, hey, how are you pursuing your calling? It seemed that some disaster had befallen them to wake them up from their consumerism. Uh, one incident was where he nearly drowned in his canoe sailboat thing. <laughs> and that was like this wake up. Uh, but then, you know, they kind of got lulled back in. And so another visit, I, I was, we had planned to meet on the Monday, and they're like, it's Sunday and nothing bad has happened, and John's coming tomorrow, this will be good. I get there on Monday, and, and Avery says, I got fired from my job this morning. Finally, the summer before COVID, he realized how, he, how addicted his ego was to becoming financially successful and independent and that they would be trapped until their last days on earth in such a vortex. And they said, God's clearly trying to wake us up from this deception. And can you remind me about that Discovery Bible study thing, that disciple-making training? Because I think that's what God wants me to learn about next. Life's worries and the deceitfulness of riches and the pleasures of this world choke out the word in our lives, making us unfruitful. And unfruitful branches are cut off, wither, and thrown into the fire. Whew. You know, that film I talked to you about, Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2, an Iranian woman is talked about in there pleading with her husband to take them back to Iran. And he asked, why would you want to move back to that land of oppression where churches are locked and we have to meet in secret, where you could be arrested and really hurt as a woman for sharing Jesus? And her reply is, because here in America, there is a satanic lullaby. And all the Christians are sleepy here. And I am also feeling sleepy. She discerned a greater threat to her faith than the persecution in Iran. Spiritual sleepiness is more dangerous than persecution. Lethargy and indifference is a greater threat than suffering. Do I want to end up there? 
in the burn pile? Soil four. <laughs> but the seed falling on good soil refers to the one who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Wow. I tell you, that's fruitful. <laughs> and how does that happen? Well, I hear the word. The message in the voice of Jesus. I understand what he's saying to me, and I actually obey it. And how does a seed turn into a hundred or sixty or thirty times what was sown? It's because that seed becomes a head of grain, and if you mix metaphors, it's kind of like the head of grain becomes the farmer who sows what is multiplied in his own heart. Can you think of a story where this happened in the Bible? I think right away of John chapter 4, when Jesus goes out of his way to meet up with the Samaritan woman at the well. And when she heard his words, that he accepted her even though he knew she had a pretty colorful past. She was so stoked that she went right away and told everyone in her village, could this be the Messiah? Is this the one to rescue us? And over the next two days, many more became believers, trusting that Jesus really was the Savior of the world. That's fruitfulness. And it happened only two days after she met Jesus. Well, what does this look like in our day and age, around us? I mean, maybe in our church here in Chilliwack. Well, let's just imagine that you've invited your non-believing friend from high school to youth group. He's having a great time, so with the youth leader, you invite him to a Zoom Bible study. Two other youth join in every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. After a couple months of learning to listen to Jesus, to do what he says, and to share with others including what it means to get baptized, then lo and behold, and by now you're probably realizing this isn't a fictional story, imagine your friend from high school announces, hey, I'm in, I want to get baptized. And that's what's happening June 6th. Now, I've heard about that story secondhand going on upstairs at 9 o'clock in the morning on Sundays. But I'm watching another story unfold in my friend's life. I've known Kevin since grade seven. Now he's a really high-level executive and his wife is a really successful realtor. But they were seeing their teenage kids beginning to walk away from church, being indoctrinated by modern liberal secularism. Finally, during COVID lockdowns, he asked me to teach him how to lead his family in Discovery Bible study. So he and I met for a half hour of coaching once every few weeks. And this is what I've heard week one. I can't believe it. My kids love it. There's absolutely zero fight to get them here. They love discussing the Bible together. Second coaching session. God is telling me to spend focused time caring for each of my kids and hearing what is going on in their lives and to ask for friends to pray for me while I'm doing this. Coaching session number three, I hear, 
So we're reading the Bible and talking to, about it together as a family. Now everyone has facilitated the discussion and when our eldest can't come because of restrictions, he joins us through FaceTime and we just put him on our, our iPad there right on the side table. <laughs> Session number four, I hear this. John, you remember when God told me to ask people to pray for us? One of the people that was praying for us was our believing CrossFit trainer at this famous gym that we go to. And the other day he was falling over himself to ask me for my help. He said God had been telling him for at least a whole year to offer evangelistic Bible studies to all his clients. And he was finally willing to obey. So he was asking me, my friend Kevin, could he help him figure out how to do that? And here in our conversation, Kevin got really quiet and was nearly trembling. He says, here's this famous CrossFit trainer willing to risk his entire business, his entire clientele, asking me to help him. And Kevin says, and there's me, where I've drawn a firm line to never share Jesus at work, so I wouldn't jeopardize my lucrative career rise. All of this is unfolding in Kevin's life because he's simply learning to hear Jesus, do what he says, and share it with others. Could we help each other grow in Christ? like that together. Now, there are so many things that could get in the way of that kind of fruitfulness. And since it begins with learning to listen and hear from Jesus, I'm going to ask you to take three minutes and do that right now, just in silence. The timer will come up, pray, and say, God, what do you want me to do next? Here comes the timer.
Uh, maybe you've never really done that before, have too much familiarity. Listening to Jesus means it's going to be aligned with his word and will likely feel right and nice and good and peaceful and other good fruit of the spirit kind of stuff. Now that you've spent time listening, try breaking the sound barrier and tell the person you're sitting next to in your home what God is putting in your heart. Or if you're alone watching, give your friend a ring and say, hey, I think this is what God is asking me to do next. We can help each other grow in Christ together. Listen, understand and obey, and share it with others. We're on our way to fruitfulness. Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.